Like when you go back and study really successful people, you'll see that um, a lot of what made them who they are, who they became, were just a bunch of different things that happened in their in their childhood. And um, I think that played a huge role in where we're at today. This is Secrets for Success. Welcome to the Secrets for Success podcast. I'm your host, Greg Todd. Thank you, as always, for joining me, my friends. Uh, today, I have an extremely special guest. Uh, the reason why I am an entrepreneur is mainly because of this individual. So uh, this is my brother, Mark. He's my older brother. And Mark, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Absolutely. My pleasure and my honor to be here. Thanks, bro. I appreciate yeah. it. So uh, just to give you guys a little backstory, and many of you that have followed my work, you know that I am the anti-entrepreneur entrepreneur, right? I did not want to do this. Uh, so I know a lot of people ask me, hey, so what's the reason why you went into entrepreneurship? Well, the reason was primarily because I did get to this, this sticking point in my life where I needed time because that's what my wife wanted and I couldn't get it through my J-O-B. But there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes for many, many, many years that the person that is sitting in front of me uh, was responsible for. So I feel like what we should do, bro, is I feel like we should go back to the beginning uh, and us growing up. We are two and a half years apart in age. He is the older brother, uh, and he lets me know of it every day. <laughs> okay. But, uh, you know, me and you have talked about this before. We um, have both become millionaires. Uh, we were not born in this country. And, you know, we have asked ourselves, and by the way, and we have another brother as well who has become, he's not an entrepreneur, but he's been very successful in his own right. And we've always said, how did this happen for us? And I think it's important for people to know a little bit about our environment and our upbringing and the craziness that came with it. And I just figured, let's talk about this on the episode so um, why don't we start with like us growing up and the sibling rivalry and all the different things that kind of came with it. So I'll let you kind of just take it away for a little bit. No, definitely. Um, we were ve we were extremely competitive in everything that we did. I mean, like everything was a competition. Um, I don't care what it was. Everything was just a competition yeah. between us. And I think that we got that from our father because he was extremely competitive. And um, I think all of those factors, like when you go back and study really successful people, you'll see that um, a lot of what made them who they are, who they became, were just a bunch of different things that happened in their, in their childhood. And um, I think that played a huge role in where we're at today. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. I, I think uh, I think what we we got certain things from our father. I think we got certain things from our mother, and then I think we had each other. Yeah. So I do agree with you that what we got from our father was um, intensity, competitiveness, and a drive to want to win. And almost to win at all cost, right? Absolutely. I feel like we got that from him. I feel like what we got from mom was um, a bit more of being empathetic. Uh, and she has a nurturing side. And even for us, I believe that we both have that. Like I could tell, like the way that you give to other people, the way that you're, like the amount of times you have conversations with people, you're just giving them of your time, which I don't do it like how you do it. But <laughs> but you know I'm a giver as well yeah. in other areas. Right. Um, I feel like we got that from, from mom. I also believe that we got exposed to nice things without having the nice things. Yeah, absolutely. You, okay, so let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so um, probably one of the first things was when um, 
we were, I was about eight. I was going into the third grade, and you were going into the first grade. And we moved neighborhoods. And the neighborhood that we had lived in before that was a mixed neighborhood, very mixed neighborhood. Now, um, I'd probably say it's probably like 99% African-American. Right. But um, we ended up moving into a, um, to a neighborhood where we were probably one of very few black kids yeah. um, in that neighborhood. I, I remember even like in elementary school, um, if there were 30 kids in the class, it'd probably be either I'm the only black kid or maybe one or two maybe other, one other yeah. one. Yeah. So, you know, um, our dad, our parents um, wanted us to live in a um, in a good neighborhood that had really, really good schools and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, you know, so we were able to see um, and, and not really be in certain elements and be able to see you know, people that were doing really, really well, you know. Another instance is um, we had an aunt, and uh, it was our uh, grandfather's sister. Aunt Sissy? Yeah, Aunt Sissy, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I remember one day, we went to church in downtown Miami, and then one day after church, our dad took us to, um, she was a, I guess like a nanny or a housekeeper. She was a housekeeper. Yeah, Yeah, housekeeper. And um, but I think she had a really great relationship with this family and they lived on. I don't know. if I think it was Star Island. Was it Star Island? I just I remember the house and yeah. I remember, remember the show Silver Spoons. Yeah. And it yeah. felt like it was like Ricky Schroeder's house. Like, right. Right. Like, right. Oh, my gosh. Like these are rich. It's the first time I've ever been exposed to wealth. Yeah. I just rem- I remember that. That was first grade, third grade for us. You know, it probably was a little bit before. Yeah. It was probably like, um, you know, maybe I was about like six or seven, I uh-huh. think, or maybe, and you're like two years younger than me. Um, I just remember going to the house, and I remember walking, and I could remember a little glimpse of it, like, but it was a very grand house. And I remember we went into the kids' room. I, she must have been showing us around. Mm-hmm. And all I remember is that they had the little tabletop versions of Pac-Man and Mrs. Pac-Man. Yeah. And we just thought, we were, thought we were in heaven, you right, know, because yeah, yeah. um, they had these these little Pac-Man games. And I remember it was just a, an amazing house. And um, that, for whatever it's worth, that did a whole lot because we were able to see that there is a whole lot more out there, right. you know. And I think that um, for a lot of people, they, they never, ever get exposed to to more. So like they only just see what they see. So they can't even envision that there's a bigger world out there or there's more out there. Right. And uh, I think we got that. Yeah. So I, I think that's a that that's a huge part. Uh, you know, just our environment. Yeah. And and then we, also too, you know, uh not to cut you off, but um I remember when we were young, like um we would get in the car on Sundays and drive around to different neighborhoods, like the very Moors. Wealthy. You remember the Moors? Yeah. 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 It's like a neighborhood like Miami Lakes or something like that. Yeah. And we would, that's one thing that mom and dad really did for us is they exposed us yeah. to things that were not where we currently were. Right. But they, they gave us that ability to see other things. And it wasn't like no crazy levels. Right. But it was, right, right. It, was it was enough to where it's like, wow. There is more right. than what we currently have. Right. And we would do that on a Sunday and then go to like Haagen-Dazs. You remember? Like, yeah. like in Miami yeah. Lakes at night, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I think that's huge, man. It I, is. I don't think a lot of people have ever gotten that. They have been in their same spot. They've never been exposed to anything else and that there is anything beyond what, what their they, current reality right. is. No, yeah. absolutely. I think that plays a huge role. Like I said... I, I read a lot of biographies and um, and autobiographies, and what mostly fascinates me when I'm reading this is paying attention to like all the little things that were going on that most people would overlook. For instance, like Steve Jobs, the reason why Apple is so clean, like the design and everything is just so really clean. His 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 father that he grew up with with um was like that. He he paid attention to detail. He was very, you know, like um, all the work that he did was very clean. And that's kind of 
what made Apple that way. That's mm -hmm. why he had the vision for Apple where it wasn't, you know, like Apple, you don't see a whole lot of stuff. Everything is like white and, and very clean and professional looking. Right. Mm -hmm. and, 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 it, and it came from um, things that he observed from his father growing up at right. a very young age. Right, yeah, yeah, 100%. So we talk about this all the time, our competitiveness with each other the environment that we were in to where we were, I'm not going to say the poorest kids in a middle class neighborhood, but basically there were a lot of our neighbors and our friends, they had more than us. Absolutely. And we didn't necessarily, we, we saw it, but we didn't have it. Like you remember like John Clark and Andy yeah. Garcia and yeah. Alex Pasono and these guys where they would get like for Christmas, they would get the awesome radio control car or the go-kart. Yeah. And we were never going to necessarily get those things, but we found ways to get those things. Yeah, right? you know, yeah. so it, 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 and that's the problem that I have with, um, I don't want to say problem, but the issue I think with a lot of parents now, um, whereas we didn't get all of those things, you know, so we had to figure out ways to get. So all of those toys and whatnot, like we literally had, experience everything and our parents didn't buy it for us so right. like we would trade yeah i just you know from an early age i was a hustler and i would figure out how to get these you know like i see these kids with a go-kart like if you really think about it i had a mini bike i had a go-kart yep i had so many different radio control cars i had a radio control boat like literally there wasn't anything that those kids had that i didn't have and our parents didn't buy them for right. us. You had you know? to find a way to get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's we had what we to figure did. it out. Yeah. I feel like we had every we had everything they had. Right. A lot of times we had it after they had it. Yeah. They exposed us to it. Right. right and we're like, right. okay, well, crap. We don't have parents that have the money right. to get these things. So you would trade. You would right. hustle. Right. We would wash cars. We would, you know, go and do lawns. A lot so of gift right? wrapping paper, like at We'd the say, back yeah. of the Boy Scout magazine, they would ha they would have this advertisement to sell. Like you could win these prizes yeah. if you sell the gift wrapping paper, right. and um and we would go knock on doors, go around the neighborhood, and sell gift wrapping paper so that we could try to win whatever prizes or whatever. Right, right. So I mean, there was there wasn't nothing that we didn't do, you know. And we were just taught from an early age that if you wanted something. You couldn't depend on anybody else. You had to go out there and figure it out. You had to get it yourself. Right. And I think that that's probably the greatest lesson that, um, especially me and you, I would say, because we weren't given everything. Right. You know? Right. But we were exposed to things. Yeah. And then it created a unique desire for us to get those things. Right. And then we understood that, okay, how do I get those things, but I don't have the money? Right. What we had to do is we had to be creative. We had to take action. We had to be persistent. Um, and and we had to find a way. Yeah. And we basically got everything that those kids had. Yeah. Yeah. I can't yeah. think of like one thing that any of the other kids in the neighborhood had that we didn't have. The only you know? difference is that it wasn't given to us. Yeah. Absolutely. That was the only difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. So we had to, we just, we had to figure it out. At the end of the day, we had to figure it out. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about a couple of those things. Uh, the one that sticks in my mind the most is our candy, our candy buying, uh, our candy selling experiences. So just to give you all some context, my brother has always been the hustler. I have always just been a product of my environment. I modeled what I saw. So my brother's always been kind of the kingpin, right? And we would have um, these different times throughout our middle school days where, uh, and, and even high school for you, where the school forbid you for selling candy. But they, if it was for their benefit, they would have like uh, two to three weeks a year where if you were part of a club or you are part of something and there was like a fundraiser, you could sell candy, but it's on behalf of the institution, right? right it's on behalf of the school. Right, right. So what we did is we used that as an opportunity to basically sell our own. And you were kind of the kingpin. So why don't you kind of like uh, build on that? Because I have a really good story <laughs> based off of that. So um, really how I even got into the candy, I can't even take all the credit for it. Um, our cousin, 
um, Brian, Brian, and he yeah. was like my best friend. He, uh, I remember he would go to Costco's or Sam's, and he would buy these cho- these uh, like a big box of chocolate bars, yeah. and um, and he would bring them and start selling them at school. Then I was like, I remember I, I, I saw him doing it. He didn't tell me he was going to do it. I just saw him doing it. And I was like, hey, the next time you go, can I go with you? I want to buy some candy too. And he let me come with him. And I remember um, buying. So I bought a couple chocolate bars. But I don't even know why I ended up buying Jolly Ranchers. And um, so I bought some chocolate bars. But I didn't think that the the amount of money that I could make versus, you know, like, so for instance, if the box was, um, I don't know, say it was like 25 bucks for the box. Mm-hmm. I think the most that I could make was like maybe $50 or whatever. So um, I don't know. That just wasn't as appealing to me as um, buying a big bag of Jolly Ranchers. And I remember buying this huge bag of Jolly Ranchers and it was um, $8, right? And I remember, and it, and and this part is, you know, I was just actually telling somebody this story a couple of days ago, how I don't even like my the way that my mind was wired, like the way that I bought that bag and broke it down. I did it exactly how a drug dealer would have broke down a big like a pound of of, of, of marijuana or whatever. Right. And I'd never ever been exposed to that. I right. I never seen that. I never heard that or or anything like that it's just instinctually i i got this big bag and i remember coming home and going to the front room and and i remember opening the bag up and um and pouring all the jolly ranchers out then i went into the kitchen and bought a bunch of um got a bunch of ziploc bags and i would count i would sit there and there's like hundreds of jolly ranchers and i would count and put like a hundred in each bag and then I would say to myself, um, I had priced it out like, okay, I could sell these for ten cents a piece or three for twenty-five. So I would bag them out. And then what I did was I would give some to you. I'd give you a couple bags. Yeah. Then I would. Then I had other friends that didn't have the opportunity to go and pick up candy, and I would give it to them. And I would say I would calculate in my head like, what's the most they can make off the bag, and what's the least they can make off the bag. Right. And then I would say. Um, all right, bring me back this. So let's say I knew that that bag could make back, I don't know, 15 bucks. I would say, bring me back 10 or I, I don't remember what. Bro, we were dealing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, essentially. We were yeah. We were dealing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Wow. It's just, it's so wild. You guys, it's, I hope what you're taking from this episode so far, cause I'm, so my brother is, he, he has a, a really, really clear memory of the past. I I don't. And I lean on him to remind me of my past because it makes so much sense on how and why I operate the way that I do now. And, and I hope you all are getting from this episode so far, the fact that it doesn't take money to make money primarily. It takes creativity. Creativity. It takes yeah. creativity and it takes, and you got to take action. Yeah. You have to be perseverant and persistent. And and just think about what he did. He wasn't exposed. We weren't exposed to drug dealers in our family. Not at all. No, we really, no, we weren't. But what he did is he said, wait a minute, how can I make this work for us and also make this work for the potential client and make this work for the person that's selling on my behalf? So you leverage everything, yeah. right? You leverage everything. And um, <laughs> it's so wild. It's so wild. $15 is what I needed. Okay, that's what it's going to cost. You give me back 10 Take whatever else. So you allowed, I just realized this, you allowed us to be um, entrepreneurs even though you were the head entrepreneur. Right. Right? right we could sell right. for whatever we wanted. By the way, I got to tell you this. In sixth grade, when we were doing this, uh, I, uh, it, word, word was getting around that people were selling candy. And in one of my classes, no, you were you were you were probably in the eighth grade. No, I was in the sixth grade. I was in the sixth grade. I know why, because t- it was Mr. Robinson. You had to be in the eighth grade because, and let me tell you why. Okay. Because I was in the tenth grade. Okay. Well, I just know this. I know yeah. that I had a situation in sixth grade. Yeah. Where I had a it was my um, my science teacher. Okay. So it was Mr. Robinson, and Mr. Robinson 
said, there is someone in the class that is selling candy. And he says, I need you to stand up right now. Bro, I never, like, I was so scared, <laughs> but you know me, you know, you know, I, and I did not stand up yeah. because they were going to expel me or put, suspend me or whatever. Uh, you know, I was so scared of what would happen, right. not from what would happen at the school, what would happen when I got, I got home, home yeah, and, the, right? and the ass whooping that I would, not uh, the killing, <laughs> okay. the slaughteration, the slaughteration that I would get from our parents. So anyways, I didn't stand up and the whole class was silent. And I just was looking around like, just like, who is this person? You know, right? <laughs> you know, just looking around, who is this guy? He's talking about and he just said, you know who you are. And all I'm going to tell you is this. It's just a matter of time before you are in jail or you're dead. It's for selling candy. For selling, <laughs> no, he said, he said, you're on your, he said, you're on the path. You're on the path to death or being in jail for the rest of your life. And I'm just wondering today in that class, I wonder if Mr. Robinson has done better than me. And anybody probably in that class, not. Probably not. Probably not. And, and anybody in that class is done. Okay. So, anyways, it's just kind of funny because um, we learned all of that from an early age, and we were taking action right. on all these things. And I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur, even at that time. But I didn't realize that I was doing activities that we do today. This is how we've been able to earn an amazing living and a life for ourselves. Um, but I still didn't think of myself as an entrepreneur. And so I remember now. I don't even think we knew that term. We didn't even know the term. Yeah, we didn't know entrepreneur, the term. Yeah. I saw like business and I thought of like. Yeah. And and so I want to tell you this. My fear and the reason why I went into like I'm not going to do business or I'm not going to do something where it's not guaranteed money is because of what I saw happen in our lives with our parents. And I always felt as though a lot of the problems that mom and dad had, I don't know how comfortable you were talking about this, but I felt as though a lot of it was because of we had ups in the 80s and then in the late 80s, early 90s, dad took a massive dip. And I always felt like a lot of the problems were because of not having stability. So in my mind, I always took it as though lack of stability creates problems. I know today that that wasn't the whole story, but right. but my, the story I told myself was that. And so that's what led me into saying, whatever I do, I want to make sure that I have stability. And that's why I chose physical therapy. You know, it's so funny that I never ever, um, I never thought that. And I think that you were probably more aware of the issues that they had versus me, mm. you know, or maybe it was that I was just in my own world and I was kind of concerned about what was going on in my own world that um, I didn't necessarily think that um, I, I definitely didn't correlate any of their issues to entrepreneurship or business, mm. you know. Um, so it's just interesting how. You could have two kids in the same household, but they observe two different things. And you probably were right to a degree. You know, you, you were definitely right to a degree. Um, and but I, I just didn't see it like that at the time. Yeah. You know, I remember the turning moment for me was uh, we were living in Norwood at the time. I probably was about six or seven years old. I think I was about seven years old. And there was this guy, I don't even remember the name of the guy, and um, uh, he was a friend of our grandmother's. And, uh, and then I, I, I probably didn't even realize that at the time, but I, I never forget the guy came to the house because I remember standing outside and my dad was talking with him. And he had one of those checker cars. Like, so a checker um, is like they use them for um, taxis in mm -hmm. London. Mm. So it was this big car. You know what I'm talking about? You yeah, know what yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I remember the guy came to the house, and I was just in awe looking at the at the guy's car. And in my mind, I thought it was a limousine. And I remember when the guy left, I, I, we were outside, and, like, you know, the guy got in his car and was driving off. And I said, what does he do? 
and um, to my dad. And then um, my dad said, he has his own business. And if you want to be rich, you got to have your own business. And I just, I remember that I could, I could even see the vision of that right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the guy was driving off. And I think that's where the seed planted inside my head that you got to have your own business if you mm. want to be rich. Wow. And I wanted to be re- I wanted to be like that guy. And the guy was probably broke. Actually, I think the guy was broke for yeah, real. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, but as a kid, I just saw that this guy had this big old car. In my mind, it was a limousine for whatever reason. Right, right. And if I wanted to be rich and drive a car like that, I had to have my own business. Yeah, wow. Wow. Isn't it amazing how just... Yeah. These little snippets and moments in time, Absolutely. and how it could totally just change the trajectory of how you think and what your path's going to be. Yeah. Well, I think uh, one of the interesting things is that you've always thought that, and I didn't know that. That I, you've, you've you've told me this before that that was one of the moments yeah. that made you go in that direction. For me, I was the total opposite. I. Yes, I did sell candy for you. Yeah. Yes, I did do those things. Yes, I did. I was creative and found different ways to be able to make money even though we didn't have it because we were exposed to things right, but right, right. didn't have it handed to us. But I I felt as though the narrative that I had was stability is the key. Stability is the key in it all. And I remember at this point you were you, – you went to college. You were going to FAMU. I think you had come back for your – after your first year, I believe it was your first year, and we went to this place called Beverly Hills Cafe in Cooper City. Yeah, I remember and that. I remember we had a massive argument that day because uh, I thought that you and Dad were reckless and stupid, and it was because you believed and Dad believed that the only way you were ever going to attain wealth was through having a business, and I felt like that was risky, and that was reckless and do you remember the argument at Beverly Hills Cafe do you remember yeah I, I yeah I, I do remember little bits and pieces of it yeah. I remember I was I don't know how it started but I remember I was talking about business or mm-hmm. something like that and you were like no nah, I'm, I'm never gonna have a business you yeah. were very anti anti-business big yeah thing. absolutely I, I do remember that mm-hmm. I do remember that um and I remember saying oh I'm gonna show you watch what happens to you and watch what happens to me <laughs> And I knew at that point, I was a senior. I was either a junior or senior in high school. And I knew that I was going to have, I just knew that I was going to have a a profession to where I was going to have stable money and work my nine to five. And that was it. And I knew that I was going to like be better than all of you by doing that. And so, so now fast forward. And by the way, I did that. I did that. I, I went to, to school and I said, I'm going to find the most stable job out there. And that's what made me decide on physical therapy. Like I looked and I remember researching and things that like top 20 most in-demand jobs and da-da-da-da-da. And I chose that that path. It's, it's so funny because I, I did the opposite. I remember um, I uh, when I was starting college, they're saying, okay, what are, you, what are you going to be? I remember at a young age when people asked me, what are you going to be when you grew up? I always said, a millionaire. Like that was yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. I, yeah. I was like a millionaire, yeah. and I remember even one time I said that to our uncle, our uncle Lincoln, mm-hmm. and he was like, um, um, he said something, you know, like, like, you know, like, um, basically it was like wishful thinking, or you know, he just said something like that or whatever, and I didn't get what he said. I didn't get, I, and people would ask him like, "What are you gonna be when you grow up?" I'm like a millionaire, you know. That yeah, was it. Right. And I remember, so I went to school. To become an engineer because I was like, because I was really always into cars. And I was like, you know what? I would love to design cars. And um, my first semester, you were to, to go to the engineering school, you had to do like, you had, you had to take all these math classes, like calculus or whatever. So I remember I didn't feel like I was ready for calculus. So I took pre-calculus. And really, you were supposed to start with calculus. And that pre-calculus kicked my butt so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I failed. I got an F that first year. I got like all A's and an F. Um, and so I had to retake that calculus, pre-calculus over because they allowed you to retake a class. So I remember the next semester I retook it and I got a C. And then at that 
point in time, I was like, nah, I, I can't do this engineering thing. Mm. So I looked for the easiest profession that I get because my whole thing was like, you know what? I'm going to start a business. Um, so you know what? I'm going to become a teacher. Uh, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to become a teacher, a history teacher, because I had this this history, this African-American history teacher um, in my first year that made a big influence on me. And I was like, all right, I'm going to become a teacher so that if I don't have my own business, by the time I finished college, I could teach during the year and then I could take the summers off to build my business. I never knew this. Yeah. I never knew that was the reason why you chose history. I was yeah. wondering, like, I figure you were just like, what, just whatever. I, I thought it was you just wanted to appease mom and dad and just get a degree. Yeah. It was, yeah. So, so yeah. So, like, growing up in our household, there was no, there was absolutely no way that you could have not gone to college. Right. If you would have not gone to college, you would have to get out. And go figure it out. Mm-hmm. You, you go live in the street, whatever. It didn't matter. Yet, just because re- the parents were very hardcore on us. Right. Um, so I knew I couldn't just leave school or anything mm-hmm. like that. That wasn't even an option in my head. But I, I, I wanted to get whatever the easiest thing that I possibly get. And I was interested in history because of that that history um, teacher. His name was Doctor Hemingway, and um, and I took his class during the summer. And during the regular year. And I remember just saying, like, you know what? I, I would love to teach history um, until I could get my business going. But after I failed that that math class, I just knew that, okay, I'm going to have to have my own business. What? Why don't you talk about some of the businesses that you started? Uh, and let's let's start from did you, the business that you had in high school and then what you had in college and the good, the bad, the ugly of it. Yeah. So, um, so of course, I sold candy mm-hmm. during high school, and then I had I had regular jobs. I worked. My first job was at McDonald's. I worked there for a good little while. Then I, uh, a buddy of mine, hooked me up. I think I was making like three something an hour at McDonald's. And a friend of mine, he had worked at this fish market, um, and I ended up getting a job. He had to. He left to go get a job somewhere else. So I got a job there. Um, at the fish market, and I would clean up all the fish guts and everything. Mm, that yeah. was the worst. Um, I worked there for a little bit. I worked at a telemarketing place. PRC? Brought, I, Is that called PRC? I don't even remember what yeah. it was called. Okay, yeah. But I remember we'd have to call out people for the Police Benevolent Association, yeah, the PBA. Okay, yeah. And, yeah, PBA, um, that's right, and, that's right. and at that place, I learned how to disguise my voice to sound like a older country white guy. You know? yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, my name is uh, Mark Todd, and I'm calling from the <laughs> Police Benevolent Association. <laughs> awesome. And um, and we would sit there all day and just call, 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 um, you know, call people and try to get people to um, to donate some money or whatever. You know, I worked at um, Little Caesars mm-hmm. for a little okay. while. Um, I love that job because I get to take all the pizza. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then after that, I started working at TJ Maxx. Right. Um, that was the last job I had before I went away to college. To college. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah. now you're in college and you yeah. had so, multiple jobs there. So as well. I remember my first after my first year of college. So so the first year of college, my dad wouldn't let me work. He was like, no. I'm gonna pay all your bills, um, and he gave me like a little money, but it, whatever he gave me per month was really like no. I mean, it probably was for him, so I, I don't even want to sound ungrateful. But um, I think it was maybe like um, he paid my no. So I had a scholarship that paid for my my school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I paid for my school through my scholarship, and my and then I had rented this room out at a house down the street from the college. And it was like $200. Like the first semester, I stayed on campus. But then I wanted to get off campus. So, um, And then I had some sort of heart condition, something. I, we went to the doctor. And, and then so I got an excuse to move off of campus. Mm-hmm. And I stayed down the street in this little rooming house. And I remember that was like $200 a month. So he would pay that. I think he would send me $250 a month. $200 to pay for the room. And then $50 to pay for my food, 
and um and yeah my just fifty dollars just to pay for every like my food and whatever little expenses I had, and I couldn't work, so um that was all the money that I had, you know. So um, at the end of my first year, I went back home for the summer, and then I remember starting up this little business. What happened was that the girl that I was dating at the time, she lived in, um, she was from the Virgin Islands, right? And um, and I remember like. Uh, getting these wholesale catalogs for these record companies because I was trying to get get back into DJing. So I, I became a wholesaler for um, VP Records, which is like the major um, reggae record label, VP and Penthouse. And um, so she would get these order like So she knew a bunch of DJs back home, and she went back home for the summer, and I came back home. So she would call me up and have me, and then, you know, say, okay, I would send her like maybe the catalogs or whatever, mm-hmm. and then she would get all the DJs on her island to order records through me, and I would mark it up, and then get the records and sell it to her. Right. So I was doing that, and then also too, I started a little import export business where I had some um, uncles that was in Jamaica. One of them owned a rental car agency, and so he always needed parts. So he would call me. I would find the parts. Um, you know, I would call different junkyards or wherever, find the parts, locate the parts for him, and then sell it to him. You guys, I hope as you're hearing this, all of the different ways that my brother has made money, there's been no way where he's had to invent anything yet. He basically took, just saw a need and saw a problem, said, wait a minute, let me see if I can almost be like a middleman here. Right. And I just think so many people get it mixed up on how they can make money and how they can bring value. Ironically, it's so funny because if we fast forward to when you got into the online world, the first thing you did was very similar to the entire path that you, at least from what you've told us so far, in that you became an affiliate marketer. You guys, there are so many different ways for you to be able to make and earn money and create value for people. And you don't have to create everything from scratch. You can just say, you know what? I see a need here, whether it's the import export, it's the wholesaling business. It's, hey, somebody else has already created something. Let me see if I can go and bring value to somebody else. There's just so many different ways that you have shown that you can do it. And I find that amazing. I, I, you know, you did that and then you went into the DJ business, right? Yeah. And that was a huge, that was a huge thing for you, yeah, at least back yeah. then. So, um, so I was always into music. So me and my cousin started um, a like a DJ crew mm-hmm. in, in Jamaica. We call it Sound Systems, and so we sound we started our own little sound system. So we would DJ, and then there were a lack of venues or a lack of places that um, where we could play at. So what we would do is we would go around, drive around the city, Tallahassee. And find our own venues, and then book our own, um, book our own events. You know, um, because we were in control then. We didn't have to wait on a club promoter to to offer us fifty bucks to come out. We could go and make our own money. So um, I did that for a while, and then I would. Um, so at the colleges, uh, at FAMU, every Friday they had this thing called the set. That was like where everybody hung out or whatever. And on Fridays, they would have like a like kind of like a flea market or something like that. You could rent a stand, you could rent a boot for like ten bucks. Bring your table out there, and then what I would do is I would get the um, the the cassette tapes from like other DJs from Jamaica that was very popular that you couldn't you know we didn't have MP3s or whatever back then. So I would pay someone to ship them to me. And when I would go home to Miami, I would go to the store and buy them for like, you know, 10 bucks or whatever it was. And then I would just duplicate them all week. I would just duplicate a bunch of CDs. I would go to Kinko's. I would make a cover for it, make a cover for the for the tapes. Cause we didn't it, CDs wasn't even out at that time. This is this is about 95, 96. And then we would um, we would bring like a speaker mm-hmm. and a, um, and a little tape player and play the music on the set and then sell the cds and we make pretty at the time it was pretty good money i remember like some weeks you know we'd probably be out there four or five hours we would make like i don't know like 150 200 250 dollars 
for a couple hours worth of work. And then keep in mind, though, that at that time, I was probably getting paid like five bucks an hour for my because I had a regular job as well. Right. So like, you know, I would make in a couple hours the same amount of money I would make by working my full time job the entire week. And then we also used to use that as a way to promote us because we would be out there. So all the Caribbean people um, that went, they would come by our booth, you know what I'm saying? So we kind of got more popular. So when we did have parties, we used that to um, to promote our parties right. as well, you know? You guys, are you hearing the, this is the theme that I really just want to continue to hit, is are you hearing the creativity that is needed in order for you to make money? There are so many people, Mark, right now that are saying, I can't get started in my business or the business I want to do because I don't have the money. But the reality is that they just don't have creativity. They don't and have grit. the creativity. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, everyone always thinks that they need the money. And I always say to people, like, the money is the last thing that you need, you know? And as a matter of fact, money is probably the worst thing that you could have when you're starting a business because it doesn't allow you to be creative, you know? You rely on the money and you think that the money is going to carry you through. Almost every single business that I started with a lot of money never ever became successful. And I would end up blowing the money because, you know, when you don't have any money, it forces you to figure out ways around it. And then if you could figure it out without money, then when you do start to make money, then it becomes way easier to scale up. Right. You right. know? Yeah. That right there is huge. That right there is huge. Um, can you before we get into I want to bring this to what happened uh, when I decided to get into entrepreneurship. But before we do that, can we talk about some of the lows, you know, some of the tough times when you started business, or maybe you could even just give us like two to three of your (coughs) toughest moments in business. And I think this is important for people to hear because people can take the snapshots of what we're talking about and be like, wow, those guys just kind of have it. And they've, they've just, everything they touch is gold. But can you talk about some of the low points that you've had? Maybe the two to three biggest low points you've had in business. Yeah, so um, definitely one was while I was, you know, a lot of people complained that when they were in college, it was such a struggle and whatnot. And to me, college was, I was working. So I, I always went to school full time. Um, so I was going to school full time. Um, I was doing the little thing that I told you on Fridays. Mm-hmm. So at, at FAMU, it was Fridays, and at FSU, it was Wednesdays. We would be there every Friday and most Wednesdays at FSU and sell our stuff. Then I had a um, then I had a full-time job, um, and then we would DJ, um, usually like on a Friday, Saturday, Friday or Saturday night, you know, and sometimes during the week. So I had about four different four hustles. Jobs, yeah. During college, yeah. and I don't even know how I did it all, but I maintained it all. And even throughout college, I maintained the 3.0 grade point. I actually graduated with honors. I graduated with a 3.2 um, in college. So I was just getting everything done, but I was just always hustling, hustling, hustling. So for me, college was great um, because I always had, you know, I had money. But we, me and my cousin, we reinvested all our money and buying like big speaker boxes and speakers and um, records and all that stuff or whatever. And then what happened was in my last year of college, um, we got tired of not having places to be able to DJ at. So we ended up, me and a friend of mine ended up getting our own building and starting our own business. Mm -hmm. And it was all great while I was in college. And then like, I remember graduating and then my dad saying, okay, you graduated now. You got to take over your car payments. And I didn't, I didn't pay. I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. I don't have any money, so I'm not paying it. Right. And um, and the club business was, I remember, you know, I did this thing that I, I think a lot of people do, and I called it like doing the math. And I sat there and I said to myself, like, man, we got this club. If we charge $3 to get in and we get a thousand people every night, that's $3,000 times four nights a week. That's $12,000 a week times four 
um, weeks in a month. That's 48000 a month times 12 months in a year. Oh, man, we're going to make a half million dollars a year. We're going to be rich, you know. And um, anyone that's ever been in business realized that that's not how it works. And, um, and it got really, really rough, you know, um, because we thought we we're going to make all this money. And we're constantly sinking money into this nightclub. It was really like a hole in the wall or whatever. And um, and we just weren't making any money, you know. Like, we would rent out the place sometimes and make money like that. But um, when we were promoting, because we were so busy trying to run the club, we really didn't have the time and energy to actually promote the club, you know, or right. promote the different nights that we had. And um, and that was, like, definitely my first major rough patch. I remember my car got, like, literally in the same week, my cousin that I talked that put me onto the candy, he got killed. He right. he moved to uh, Kentucky, got a job with IBM, and he moved to Lexington, Kentucky. And I remember one night he went out to a nightclub during mm-hmm. the week. You know, one of his flaws was that he was the type that always wanted to be out. He wanted to be doing something. And he went to a club one night, and it was like in the middle of the week. And I almost feel like he had called me that night and maybe I didn't talk to him or whatever, or, you know, and he just like, you know, I'm going out. So he went yeah. out that night and um, he uh, um, went into the club. And as he was walking into the club, it was a little ki- a younger kid that was like 16 yeah. to try to get in the club and they wouldn't let him in the club. So he was mad. So, you know, he was walking. And, and when he walked by my my cousin's like walking in and he's walking out. And he brushed against my cousin brushed against him. But my cut if anybody knows him, knows that he's like very non-confrontational, you know? Yeah. He's yeah. not gonna try to fight anybody. He probably just said, My bad, my bad. And the kid turned around and shot him in the head and killed him. Killed him. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, you know, the I never forget the week, so I was going through that, and that was the first time that anybody that close to me, because I was closer to him than I was to my my real brothers, you yeah. and my other yeah. brother. You know, like everybody, they would call us twins. And uh, cause we were always around each other. Yeah. And I remember um, going home to, uh, um, so I, by this time now, I graduated college and I'm running the club. And yeah. man, it was just so rough because we just didn't have any money. And I remember I didn't even have money to fly home. I think my parents bought my plane ticket to come to the funeral. Yeah. And um, and then the day that I got back from the funeral, um, the bank came and repoed my car. Mm. The bank came and repoed my car. And um, so then I lost my car. Yeah. So we didn't have no car. And I remember things had gotten so rough. And we owed the landlord so much money because it took us a long time. I didn't negotiate the con because I, I just didn't know any better. Right, so yeah. like we we're paying for this club. I, I think I negotiated a lower rent yeah. while we were trying to fix the club up, getting getting ready for it to open. But we didn't have any money coming in, right. you know. And um, and I and I underestimated how long it was going to take us to get the club ready. So we owe we were always owing the landlord. I remember mm. her calling us every Monday morning. Like, what do you guys have for me? Do you guys have any money? And it was just so rough, man, because we, we didn't have any money. So whatever little money we had, we had to just give it to her. Mm-hmm. And at that time, me and my partner were living together because I was living with my cousin. And then when he graduated, he moved. My partner moved in. And, man, we just did not have any money at all. Mm-hmm. His car broke down, so he didn't have a car. My car got repoed. We had, And we needed some help at the club. And he knew a little young dude that got kicked out of his house. So the, the, we let the dude come and live with us. He just li- he slept on the floor mm-hmm. in like a, uh, a little makeshift bed. But And his job was like, yeah, you come and live with us and we'll take care of you. You know, you could eat from a, but, but you had to clean the club, you know. So his name was Duke. And I remember, so Duke would was like our cleaner. <laughs> and man, we just didn't have, I mean, there was so many nights that we went to the club. I remember like we would make, um, and no exaggeration, we made like five bucks or ten bucks. Like, we'd make ten bucks because we might have had like three people pay to come in the club. Can you imagine, like, you're you're passing out flyers the entire week hoping to get a big crowd and you get like three people. Couple, probably a couple more people came, but we let them in for free. Those were like our friends. 
And um, and then so we would make 10 bucks for the night. And I remember giving the DJ five bucks because I had to give him something, right? He probably was charging $50 or whatever. But we give him like, yo, all we got left is 10 bucks, bro. And we would give him like five bucks for gas. And then um, and then we would have five dollars left. And it's that five dollars is what we're supposed to pay our landlord, pay for our rent for where we our landlord for the building, pay our landlord for where we lived and buy food. And we would go to um, Winn-Dixie. And um, I remember it's Winn-Dixie on um, I forget the name of the street, but I could see it in my in my head. I know exactly where it is in Tallahassee. And we would go in there, and we would have to steal food, you know. And we had a little system. So my 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 partner, Ozzy, he would always steal a big bag of M and M's, and that was our dessert. And then we would go over to the frozen section, and we would still eat still like two hot pockets. So one we would eat that night, and then one we could eat the next day. And then the money that we had, the little $5 that was left, that we would usually buy maybe a loaf of bread. At that time, it was like $0.69 cents mm-hmm. for a loaf of bread. And we'd buy maybe, we'd probably steal a bunch of Kool-Aid packets. And we would buy, we would just buy the things that were too big for us to steal. So we'd stuff the two Hot Pockets in our pocket. My, my partner would steal a big bag of M&M's. We'd buy a loaf of bread and maybe a pound of sugar. That was like $0.99 cents at the time. We would steal the packets of um, Kool-Aid and um, whatever other, you know, and and that's how we survived. All right. So thanks for listening to the first part of my in-depth convo with my brother, Mark. Uh, Part two is going to be coming out and you are going to hear the lows that he went through uh, that led him to uh, building a multi-million dollar business. I can't wait for you guys to listen in. That was easy.